Christian Beer Show. Christian, I know your work is, uh, your academic work is on this very exciting field of psychedelics and psychiatry. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it has lots of implications. So I was just telling you there is this show of a chemist that goes all over the world trying different psychedelics, uh, you know, this uh, ketamine and dissociative stuff. And he also synthesizes uh, similar drugs, you know, like the, not the actual compound, but a chimeric similar or something, something like that. It's, it's, it's amazing. amazing. So he, tries totally in, he tries these drugs on his own, like he creates it and then he just like takes them? Correct, correct. So I think there are wow. a lot of regulations behind um, what you can make in the lab and what you cannot. So from the same compound, you can make chimeric alterations. Oh, that reminds me. count as, a, as an illegal. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I actually, I, I know that's a problem in, in big cities because you have, um, especially in the South, when I was over there, you would have people entering the hospital very, like with psychotic episodes. And this would be caused... It, like in some cases, not always, but in some cases it would be caused because of uh, they, uh, people taking spice, which that, that's how they would call yep. it, spice. Yep. And, and this is basically like a, a chemical similar compound to, to marijuana. And, and then, but because of the, 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 a molecular difference that was created like, uh, like at some point very recently, it can't be scared. Like it, it's not illegal. It's just like a new molecule. And so it can be sold because it's not bound by law. So then they, so then, so then the DEA, I think takes, it, it, it's hard because like there's so many of these compounds being created. So the DEA have, ha, has some sort of delay between yeah. the moment this molecule comes to the to the world and then till they determine it as schedule one component which renders it illegal so there's like this chase that goes on and these molecules Correct. that is supposed to be like an analog of of thc of marijuana but 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 people do this so to make it legal in the places and, where, and, where it, and you know it's, it's very hard to pick it up so just for the audience here today in the podcast i'm gonna introduce myself just a little bit uh, oh yeah sorry i didn't do that but i will do that i, I normally we, like talk before, a little intro there yeah before we yes. jump there so just what you're just what you mentioned i saw that you know face to face when i was working in the bronx okay, okay. So these people are so far ahead any any new drugs that you get to learn from them a lot so for example spikes that's one right so you get <laughs> sorry yeah you get you get spikes you get uh ak-47 uh blackstone um what's it rock candy you know like they make all these different uh names for this commercial because uh, it, it's almost like commercially available oh, uh, altered compounds yeah it, it's it's such an interesting thing and it's dangerous right because it's like it is dangerous created uh, like suddenly out of, out of nowhere to create like a similarity between that and, and marijuana so it so it's legal but then you really don't know what you're putting on your body and that's why yeah that's why i would see some of these patients in the emergency department because they they, they got psychotic for a period of time because they took these substances but anyway go ahead 
Yeah, so, and then these guys were mixing that up with, let's say, heroin or, or something else. But they were told that these already have something else to make it spicy. So that's why they call it spice. Or ah. it, it, it was really weird. And then okay. I think in 2015, just when I when I was doing my training there, or 2000, I don't know if it was 15 or 17, that the New England published a case series of people getting these uh, these marijuana analogs. Yeah. And they they had to do something like a very deep molecular uh, tracing to find it because that is not picked up by the regular tests that we do for marijuana and other stuff. Right. So it, it is it is really dangerous. It is weird. K two K two. That's the one that everyone used to get there in the in in the in the South Bronx. K two. Wow. And you can get them like candy. You know, it was like uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it was weird. Such a yeah, like it would be like a, an all like a alter, altered uh, marijuana edible, basically. Correct. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's in in some ways we, we live it in, in 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 a world where you don't know what's gonna come to the hospital, and and sometimes you can't test for it, right? And and if yeah. you can, and if everything, every drug comes negative and, and, and you go to the hospital and you don't tell people that you took something, maybe you didn't even know, maybe somebody gave you this candy and you just ate it, right? Like you don't even know that you took something. And then, then problems begin because people are going to think you're psychotic and, and, the, and they don't know a reason for it. Then, the, then the, um, the question comes in the differential diagnosis. Is this like a primary psychotic disorder? Is this schizophrenia, et cetera? And then over time, generally, like it'll go away. And then you're like, okay, so maybe you took something. But it, it is a period of high anxiety for the person that went through this and their family. Yeah. So this is how we get to learn about that thing. So the article is called Zombie mm -hmm. Outbreak Caused by Synthetic Cannabinoid AMB. Oh, <laughs> I remember this. I think I remember. <laughs> is it in New York? It, what, wasn't yeah. it like, I think it, in Miami, there was. No, this, this is New York. Yeah, well, oh, the, the older zombie thing. Uh, that's yeah. A little bit older. Yeah. That's older. That was, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was uh, bath salts. I think that's what bath it was. Salts. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it was. Yeah. Um, but that's also like a like a surprising episode, right? Like this guy on the street, like like eating somebody else. I, I can't remember exactly what what happened, but like at least biting, chewing a, a piece of of the body of somebody else, and then he gets shot by the police, and and it doesn't stop him. Like what? It, it, it's a it's a wild world. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, you know, coming back to to that Hamilton's pharmacopoeia. So there is yes. a whole episode on PCP, okay? Okay. And and you know, I think the first time we heard about PCP, both and you know, you and I were probably during uh, well studying for the steps, right? Yeah, med school. Main, yeah. The the main thought behind PCP is that you get this supernatural strength, you get really. Uh, you know, like angry, furious. You can break a jail if 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 you you know if you're under, under PCP and all that. And this guy makes a whole episode and try to get all the data, calling out those cases. Okay. And there is lack of evidence that PCP does that. So that's what we're told. 
Really? And yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not by any means, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't have any scholar work on PCP on any of that. I'm just telling you what I saw in that documentary. And it's, well, it's let me new. tell you, I, I, I have seen PCP cases and not a lot, not a lot, because it's, it's not a, a, a drug that I like a lot of people take, I guess. You mean like PCP overdose? Um, I, or, I, or, I, or chronic PCP users? I mean a PCP overdose. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and in a PCP overdose, I saw like somebody that became so violent. Like, I, I've, I don't think I've seen many people so violent uh, mm. like that. So, but that, that's one case. And, and it, like, I, what I didn't see, but because, was this vertical nystagmus, I think, that, that okay. you see on, on PCP. Uh, but I didn't see that. But I, I think part of the reason I didn't see that is because there was so much violence going on that I couldn't like get right, close to this person and, 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 and really ask him like, let me, let me look at your eyes, you know? Like, so, so I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the world of the side effects from drugs, it's, it's a very, it's a very interesting one. It's so interesting how like people can get this like massive strength or, yeah. or whatever. Now, but you are an infectious diseases doctor, right? Like you're an assistant professor at Mayo Clinic. Is that, is that right? Yep, correct. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. And so if you're an infectious diseases person, I'm going to ask you about coronavirus. I'm going to ask you about COVID-19 and, and everything about it. Like imagine I don't know anything about it. I'm actually doing COVID research. So this will be like interesting to me. But Ooh. imagine imagine I don't know anything about it and 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 tell us tell us like what do we know about it so far sure so okay starting with this disclaimer so anything that i say is going to be just my personal opinion does not represent the um by, by any means my 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 employers or my institutions or my affiliations yeah. um so just to start with um coronavirus so coronavirus is one of the trillions of viruses that are around. There are millions of millions of coronavirus by themselves. We get exposed to them on a regular basis. They live in mammals. Um, it's like, it's a virus that is not that big of a virus, like 34,000 um, pair of, uh, um, pair, pair of bases. So it's like a medium sized virus pretty much. Um, and it is all over the world. It has uh, a very known, uh, a well-known niche in mammals, and it just gets transmitted from mammals to mammals. So if you take a look of the adult population in general, you can find people getting exposed to coronavirus like up to 90%. So we actually don't look for coronaviruses in general because we can, we can assume that, they, that you are exposed to those. Now, coronavirus had a, has a very particular, um, a very particular story with these outbreaks, starting in 2000, in 2003 with SARS, which is severe acute respiratory syndrome. So imagine that one of these coronaviruses just had a very high affinity to the lung of the humans, because these are all over the world in camels, in um, bats, in rats pangolins, you know, and any mammal you can think of can get coronavirus. 
And then this just jump into a different species give you a severe disease. And that's why it was called severe acute respiratory syndrome. And it was killing people with a very low transmissibility, but very high mortality rate, somewhere around 30% of, of all the exposures. Now then, after that, we were dealing with MERS, which was linked to camels. So this MERS is the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which didn't make it, you know, like it wasn't a big deal in the news and all that because it was contained. The transmissibility of this disease was lower than SARS, way lower than influenza. Um, but it was still causing significant deaths. I think that the death toll was like 30 to 50% of all the of all the cases. So that's pretty scary. That with is that, scary. Yeah, with that. So this is the way I look at it. We're humans, okay? And we're just another species in the world. And we are just another mammal, okay? That happened to be lucky and get above the... Uh, and uh, able to invent tools and all that to figure out what's going on in the world, but it doesn't prevent nature to do its work. So we get exposed to coronavirus and then we also get sick and die. This is happening in the environment, in the nature, day in and day out. It's just that when it happens to humans, we get to learn about this a little bit more, okay? Influenza is pretty much the same deal. We are not the natural host for influenza. Just like this is this virus is not, uh, you know, we're not the natural host for the coronavirus. We're not the natural host for influenza either. Influenza lives in geese, in ducks, in uh, all the avian, uh, all the avian um, uh, uh, species. Okay, if you can think of that. So if we would like to get rid of influenza, you know, like forever, we, just, we should just limit our interaction with avian species, okay? Kill all the birds, kill all the birds and influence the sky. Just don't get close to implying? the birds. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm playing just don't get close to birds. Okay. So let's say if you have a chicken, okay, and the chicken and dogs and all these uh, animals can shed virus year, uh, throughout the whole year, and then you get close to them, you're gonna get the virus, right? Then same thing happens with coronavirus. Some people were finding bats or some exotic animals and they happen to encounter this virus that has a similar transmission to influenza and has pretty much a similar mortality to influenza, okay? Um, I think the main problem with this virus is that we, we got into the wrong biological niche. Hmm. If we wouldn't be messing around with different niches, you know, this probably would never happen. But anyways, then we got to find coronavirus in 2019. Mm -hmm. This SARS-CoV-2, it was named, they changed the name many times. And uh, now that's a, that's a current uh, recognized name, SARS-CoV-2. And it's causing COVID-19, which is the disease from the virus. And we know so far that he has a, a, a probably higher than previously reported mortality, somewhere around 10%, from 3 to 10%. And it spread like crazy all over the world. It takes a few months to be mm -hmm. declared a pandemic. 
And I think the most exciting part now is to see how all the therapies started developing. And I am a big fan of steroids. And steroids seems to be doing a pretty good job. So that's there's where we are now. And you know, there's a lot of nonsense. There are so many things we can talk about coronavirus. Uh, but I, if you ask me what is a, a 101 of how to take a look at coronavirus, I'll start with that. Yeah, start with that. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm just like moving this thing for a second. No problem. There we go. Okay. So, yeah, I saw the steroid thing, which is kind of exciting. Hopefully, it'll it is pan out. Yeah, yeah. Because at the beginning, they were saying that, so basically just to, to catch up people, I think, it, and you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that what I read was that there's a, this study that happened in the UK where they gave, um, I forget which steroid was it. Was it? Um, dexamethasone. Dexamethasone. They gave dexamethasone to people and they started getting better from COVID. And at the beginning, that's something that we didn't do because we're, there is evidence that if you get like septic or really sick or intubated, like from an infectious disease in your lungs, adding steroids to that in theory could like lower your defenses and make the disease worse. Is that right? Yeah. And Chris, I'm going to tell you a very exciting story behind that. Okay. So this is something that happened, you know, as, as we saw the pandemics evolving, um, I have a lot of friends that like to, uh, have these philosophical questions rather than you know, we, that's why we get back home very late and we don't do stuff that we should be doing uh, yeah, but yeah that, but you, that's been your life like since i've met you i remember us like studying <laughs> like exactly. i would i would be studying with with michelle uh until like 2 a.m and then you like arrive at the place at, at 3 a.m to begin studying with us because you were like partying the whole night and then we find all of us like just studying. And then at some point, like at four or 5 a.m., we just start talking about like random stuff, making sandwiches with a lot of spicy sauce. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, those hot, hot sauce sandwiches. Like nothing yeah, yeah, yeah. but hot sauce. That, that was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, you were saying. So you, same you, you, thing. So same thing. You know, same. Just no sandwiches this time. So it's just <laughs> like talking to random people. I, I, I like to ask these philosophical questions, and you know, I probably get one out of ten people answering, like engaging in the conversation for that. So I was talking to a friend about this coronavirus and all that, and and we start seeing that people get. So let's say I, I am a person that gets the virus, okay? So I get the virus day zero. Let's call it day zero when I get okay. it. So then day two, three, and four, I'm going to start, the virus start going to replicating, it's going to start replicating in my lungs, right? Where, the, the, where we think has the highest affinity and is the route of entry. So it starts getting, it starts replicating and gets, uh, the numbers get larger and larger, start killing cells because when it replicates, it just bursts off cells. And then that triggers a lot of inflammation. So we basically have two ways to defend our cells from viruses. So one is the natural immunity and the other is the uh, adaptive immunity. So the, uh, the innate or let's call it the natural immunity just takes place as soon as you face the virus. Okay. So that takes no time. 
But the other, the adaptive immunity, the one that your body has to learn how to fight the virus, that takes few days, I, let's say a week. So when we talk about developing antibodies against the virus and all that, that probably takes a week or two weeks. And you know that, that's just how the body works. And that's how the mammals uh, body work in general. So we have the same immune system as other mammals. Mm. And so we see people getting so and and this is a story that i heard also from ecuador okay and when people were facing the virus like with no ppe no antivirals nothing they were seeing the same thing they were seeing just people get infected at some point start having fevers four or five days getting fevers and respiratory symptoms and then after respiratory symptoms those that collapse will collapse within the time frame of seven and 14 days so if something went wrong, something went wrong after that first week, not mm -hmm. at the beginning. So it has nothing to do with the innate immunity. It has to be something with the adaptive immunity that, that your body has to learn. So, and you know, that's mainly antibodies and all that. So we were thinking, okay, what is the problem of these people at the end of the disease? And they were getting very high inflammatory markers, high ESR, high CRP, but no lymphocytes. And apparently those lymphocytes just get, so the lymphocytes, one of the cells of the body that takes care of the virus and they were gone. It's like they were fighting off the virus. But then the others, the other things that were activating has nothing to do with the virus. It's like your body just goes crazy and try to kill whatever is there without, without actually looking into, okay, am I killing the virus or not? So the immune response is just too strong that gets off the hands of the body. So people in Ecuador started using steroids as early as in March of this year, okay? Wow. So that's probably around the time when these protocols in the UK were submitted, or I don't remember, I don't have those dates, but um, they were also working on that, somebody thought of that before, because we have extensive evidence that in ARDS, which is the acute respiratory distress syndrome, or when basically your lungs stop working, you give a little bit of steroids and you can improve mortality. So many things going on on what I told you now, but the, the hallmark is that this inflammatory response by the virus can be modified by giving a little bit of steroids. Steroids have been with us for at least a century. I mean, uh, as, part of, uh, as part of our uh, armamentarium in the, in, 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 into diseases. So we can use steroids to treat other diseases for at least a century. And it's just, just as you mentioned, it's counterintuitive that we can use that for a, a virus. So, I am involved in one of these, uh, one, one initiative that we try to answer questions from outside uh, hospitals that have limited resources. We answer them for free. So one of the questions was, we have a patient with basically no lungs, one week on the ventilator, not getting better with COVID. Can we use steroids? So we decided to do a, a search for all the evidence behind steroids and coronavirus and then in the end, we said, yes, that was March of this year. And it was not in the guidelines, you know, it was not, it was uh, something 
that was thought to be very risky and few people mm -hmm. were against that. Yeah. But then we start building up all the evidence behind it. And now just last week, we got a, a systematic review of meta-analysis on ongoing trials and they all look the same. So steroids help in the critically ill patients with coronavirus. So my feeling is that it's not helping the virus, it's just helping the body to go crazy and kill this kill kill itself. Okay, so it is it is really interesting. And so so what you're saying is that by using steroids you'd reduce the immune response that is like over like overacting in a way that it's harming overkill. Its yeah, it's yeah. A, it, and it's such an overkill to the point that it's damaging our our own lung tissues, and so Correct. you reduce the immune response, and then you have like a you still have a sort of immune response in order to tackle the virus, but it's not so bad that you're not destroying your lungs as you go. Totally, totally. So that I think that's a that's a highlight of the last two weeks in coronavirus, uh, as of now, as of September of 2020. That's exciting, man. Yeah. And oh man, it, it infectious disease is such an interesting thing. So did you say like do we know what's the natural reservoir of co of SARS-CoV-2? Uh, not really. So we have some evidence that it lives in the pangolins, it bats. You know, it can be anywhere. I I don't think we'll ever find that. Because imagine so to define that, you have to test pretty much every mammal to find the niche. It's like Right. So I, I, I think of these viruses like Lego pieces. Mm -hmm. So you have a Lego piece living in one bat. Okay. If these Lego pieces start replicating and then it gets transmitted to other bats, how do you know where these bats were in the past with what mammals these bats interacted with? And, you know, there are just so many. It's like trying to trace K0 all mm. over, you know, it, it's... It's going to be such a I, I don't think humans have the capabilities of doing that yet. Wow. All right. All right. So what do you think it's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. So just my thinking yeah. is that this thing is going to integrate in the human niche, which is a, a globalized niche. Mm -hmm. And it's going to stay there for forever. Just like it happened with the other influencers. You know, uh, when we were talking about the swine flu, in 2010, I think, right? Um, that was a pandemic, right? Or, well, let, let's call it... Epidemic. Uh, yeah, let's call it a, a, an, an epidemic of this. Uh, but this strain was there and was uh, and spread all over the place. And now it lives in... Now it's part of the regular outbreaks, so we get to see it in other outbreaks in, in throughout the years. Right, right. And what do you think about the, the vaccine trials going on right now? I think those are okay. <laughs> I, so vaccines are very important. So as an infectious disease, I can tell you vaccines are super important. Um, but I, I think that, let's say we find a really good vaccine, okay? Let's say, so uh, just like, let's say with influenza, you know, we, we recommend influenza vaccine every year mm -hmm. and we should encourage that, but it's not, it's not the answer. It's, it's not the answer. 
I think nature is uh, overpowering us in so many ways that. What do you mean? So we can strive to get a vaccine, okay? Uh Now then you have to think of people actually getting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. You have to think of people, whether this vaccine is going to have a real effect in people. If you take a look of influenza vaccine, in a meta-analysis, you can get an efficacy from anywhere from zero to 40%. You know, it's not great. Oh my God. That's the best vaccine that we have. And, you know, we should still strive for, uh, for a vaccine and get the vaccine and and once it becomes available we should all get it right um, but that doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of, of the virus I see what you're saying so you, what you're saying is that we it's may have yeah it, it, like we like it depends on the vaccine right like there are some vaccines that are really really good at preventing the disease from occurring again right but there are other vaccines like influenza that, 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 that in best case scenario, you have like a 40% chance of not getting it, which is still worse than flipping a coin. And, and then like, okay, there's, there, there are these ongoing trials, but that doesn't mean even if a vaccine comes and even if the vaccine's good, we don't know like how good it'll be to prevent it. It's not like it's for sure that it'll prevent you from getting the virus if you get the vaccine. Correct. And there is no way you can uh, predict. So, for example, with influenza, if you vaccinate somebody, you can still get the disease, but mm-hmm. you'll get a less severe form. Mm-hmm. That'll be ideal. You know, that, so there is, there is benefit. So those numbers that I just told you is about whether you get or not the disease. You can still get the disease. But the vaccine, the only thing that it's doing is trying to boost your immune system so you can take over the virus before the virus takes over you. So with these vaccines, you can boost that. It's not going really to fix it. Right. And then, and then you mentioned that the, that the mortality or at least the severity of the disease doesn't necessarily come from the virus, but the immune response towards the virus. So that's if you have a... Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and if that's the case... And, and we do have a vaccine that will like uh, create this adaptive immune response towards the virus. D- would you say that the natural outcome of that would be like a reduced, more moderate immune reaction or, or what? I think um, at this point, any vaccine that gets developed will be of help in general. Okay. So... Um, whether you are able, so, and, and you know, this is another thing that the immune response that you have against all this is, is so unpredictable because we know very, very little about immunity in general because we haven't figured out many other things like sepsis, for example, when you get a bacteria on your bloodstream and there are some people that get really sick with it, people that don't get that sick. And I was doing research on that a while ago. I just, the short answer is like, we don't know what puts you in one bucket or the other. It's the same situation here. You can have a really good vaccine. You can have antivirals. You can have steroids. You can have all that. But you're not, you're not going to know who's going to develop a very bad outcome and a, a good outcome. So... Uh, we can develop. What do you, what do you, what do you think that is? I, I know that the answer is we don't know, but like, do you have a, a theory? I, I do have a, I, so there is one thing that we don't look at in 
so okay let me start with this fever mm -hmm. Kristen, you are uh, you, you have been studying medicine for the last decade and a half or something yeah <laughs> yeah something like that but what is fever what is your like can, i mean can you tell me yeah you're like, like if you have to okay. explain your kid so i, I have a two-year-old yes I, always, I, i keep having all these thoughts you know like <laughs> every time i get a question uh -huh. i probably should come up with an answer that my kid can understand okay? yes so if if, if a two-year-old asks you what is fever i would what, say it's an increase of your temperature right so i got that question last week when my uh -huh. kid was sick okay so And, and then I told him, yes, so is, is your temperature is going high. So you're getting hot. And, you know, that's okay for him. As a two-year-old, it's okay for him. But now, Christian, if I, if I ask you what is fever, and you are a 30-year-old or something, and then I come <laughs> up with that answer, it's going to suck. And Especially if you're a doctor specializing in infectious diseases. Exactly. So I ask <laughs> the people that I think are the most brilliant To, at mm -hmm. least to my, uh, you know, just from my perspective, I ask them, what is fever? Mm -hmm. And they cannot answer that. <laughs> Because we know that fever has to be, so fever, okay, I feel hot, right? We've been talking about fever for centuries. Mm -hmm. And, but we know that fever is just feeling hot, right? So we think that humans have a, a temperature that has mm -hmm. been preserved from mammals, okay? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I love from infectious diseases because we treat ourselves just like another mammal. It's not mm -hmm. like, you know, we are the best of, of, of planet Earth or something similar. Yeah, like we're, we're just like talking monkeys. We're talking Exactly, monkeys. exactly. So whatever monkey that had a temperature uh, and established warm blood, right, with temperature millions of years ago, um, whatever springs uh, the, the 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 offsprings keep having this control of the temperature right but then we, when we get sick our temperature goes high mm -hmm. so i think there is a missed link in mm. our understanding of temperature and how the body works when we go to med school everyone tells us oh yeah it's all the chemicals the chemicals will release um yeah like if i remember correctly From what, uh, from what I was taught in med school, you release a certain amount of cytokines. These cytokines uh, that are released in, in, in contact with the infectious agent and those cytokines uh, prom like activate something in our body to increase our temperature right. in order to increase the metabolism of our body, in order to increase the speed at which we produce uh, whatever it is that we're producing in terms of like our defense system or like an adaptive and immune system so so think about that so we all think that temperature is a proxy of the metabolic activity yes okay so the more metabolically active your body is the higher the temperature and that happens in the liver okay the liver is always two or three degrees celsius above the temperature of the rest of the body oh interesting but the brain if you take a look the brain is the, the organ with the highest metabolic activity. Uh -huh. So when you do these PET scans or things that take glucose and then see where the glucose is being used, the brain lights up more than the liver, right? Mm -hmm. The liver is hot 
but the brain is not that hot. If I don't know what happens when you do a PET scan in in a patient with fever, right? Uh -huh. um, but fever has to be a physics issue. Okay. You know how many doctors know physics? Like not a lot. No, it's like mathematics, okay? And we, and, and we studied that, right? Like we did have biophysics, if I remember correctly. Like, yeah, we do. I think that in some part of my brain, I must have learned something about biophysics. But I, yeah, we, I don't think I use it on my daily basis. We don't. But if you think of this, so, okay, now we have this question, right? So it has to be a physical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Now, how do you make things hot? One way of making things hot is that you increase, let's say, um, you have something circulating, right? And then you increase the resistance. So whatever flow is getting into that space, it makes more friction. Mm -hmm. And then that friction releases heat. Yes. Okay. So we have a pumping system in our body mm -hmm. and it has a current and mm -hmm. there are electrons and there are all these uh, it, it looks like a closed circuit. And that is an electrical system that is not being, it's not described the way we can describe it now with all the implements that we have. Okay. What, what do you so, mean? So this... Are you talking, and I think you're talking about our cir cir circulatory system. Is that what you're talking correct. about? Like your heart pumping blood, etc. Okay. So, 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 so you're saying that that's also an, a, an, a, a sort of electromagnetic system that we haven't been able to like discover very well? Is that correct. what you're saying? We haven't been able to describe it the way we, sh the way we can now, different from what, we, from what happened uh, 100 years ago when the EKG came out. You know, they were using electrodes, like dipping very, very tiny needles because they weren't, they weren't able to, to make needles. So the electrodes were very tiny uh, crystal needles and mm -hmm. you have to get your hands in water to make mm -hmm. water to make this system conductive mm -hmm. now you can place electrodes anywhere you want and then just get the electrical uh, system so but i think fever is an electrical phenomenon it's just that we hasn't been able to we haven't been able to describe it the way we should so imagine this so you get fever right uh -huh. your blood pressure goes down you get uh -huh. septic and that's a circulatory issue. Like, why do you get fever with that? Well, like uh, what I, what comes to my mind again, would be from what I learned is that you, there's a release of different types of cytokines and, yes. and some cytokines uh, will promote vasodilation. Like the, they'll go to the blood vessels and then they'll dilate them and, 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 and promote like movement of, and, and why are they vasodilated? I mean, they and are- That is current. That is, cur that is current. That, that is, that is that current. So if you have a closed system, okay, if you have a tube and in the tube you have water and you just have it static, there is no current. Mm -hmm. So you just need to make a gradient, make one size larger than the other Mm -hmm. So then there is going to be a gradient of flow mm -hmm. and that is called current. Right. I see, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So what you're trying to say is that, yes, we have like this um, like molecular explanation of things, but you're saying 
that that can be okay, but that's also incomplete because there's also you like don't an, think of the hemo, the hemodynamics and electrical part of things. And the, and you are a hundred percent correct when you say that we don't think a lot about the electricity of 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 the body as the whole. Like we do think about action potentials and and single cell stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like when it comes to the single cell, we do really study heavily when it comes to the electricity of a single cell mechanism. We, we do focus on the electricity of the heart as an organ because of the importance of the beat and, uh, and the pumping of the heart. And we, and we do focus to, to some extent and more, more now than before in the, the distribution of electricity waves um, in the brain. Uh, right. But that's, that's a it. huge electrical system. Yeah, it's a huge electrical and, system, and we don't understand it. Like we, we we just don't understand it very well. And the heart is another huge electrical system. Mm -hmm. It's just that we just don't understand it. So think about your legs. You know, when you're sitting down like this, yeah, and then your your legs go go goes numb. Uh -huh. So if you take a look, if you can feel the pulse, you will still have pulse where your leg is numb. Mm. So I don't think the numbness overall is, a, is an issue with getting your blood there. So your oxygen, because we think of blood just carrying oxygen places. Right. But I think there is also a role of blood carrying electricity or maintaining an electrical flow elsewhere. Interesting. I mean, to, to some degree, it sounds about right like i mean but but things are so interrelated right like when i when i feel like when 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 you say okay your, your leg goes numb i do think that oxygen is not reaching specifically a nerve and that nerve is creating the production of like it's that, that nerve like the polarization of some sort is creating the sensation of numbness that that would be my my thought like that that's i guess what i I was taught. Yeah. yeah, I, I think you know th that all can. I think there is a, a a more complex relationship between the electricity and and what we think of. It's not just nerves. I agree. I think that you're right. Like it's it's so like it's so interesting in the <laughs> sense that, like we don't we don't talk much about that, and I don't know whether there's people doing that. I there must be. There must be some people doing research on the electromagnetic system of the body, but it's like it's it's there where, but there's probably something hard. It's it sounds like something very hard to research. Like what tools would you use? Like how do you do it? Yep. So the same questions were were raised by by a guy in 1980s. Okay. Okay. So this is this is another this is a story from a guy who was chair of the Nobel Prize in medicine. Okay. okay. So so really well-recognized uh, uh, physician is Bjorn Nordenstrom, okay? okay? And this guy w was, the, uh, was one of the guys who described something called the corona effect in the x-rays. So okay. by then they only had x-rays, right? So they were getting x-rays and then in cancer patients, around the cancer, they see a corona structure. So something like it was flashing uh, around the cancer. Mm -hmm. And then this guy was thinking, okay, that's probably fluid. Then stuck a needle in somebody's lungs and then tried to get fluid out and it wasn't fluid. Mm. And then got 
somebody else, you know, the same Corona got a needle in and weren't able, he wasn't able to get anything else. Like he said, well, probably it's blood or something, you know, because it looks like a Corona, like, like the, 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 the sunshine mm-hmm. around the, the cancer. Okay. And then one day he said, what, what if this is an electrical phenomenon? And then he got the needle in connected to a, an electrode and the as he was entering the corona the electricity was changing so this guy was the first one to describe this phenomenon and all the implications of the electrochemical and he called it biologically close electrical circuits hmm. but his research died with him like he died in 1993 or something like that hmm. and but he wrote a whole book on that it's just that it's not part of our curriculum right well well <laughs> Well, so, 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 like, are you going to research that or what? Like, it sounds interesting. I, I, I wish, yeah, at some point. It sounds really interesting. So, yeah. imagine now, let, let's go back to fever. So, imagine oh, yes. you have a guy with fever, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't know what's going on. And every time we study somebody with low blood pressure, you can have low blood pressure because you don't have blood. You can have low blood pressure because your heart is not pumping enough. You can have low blood pressure because all your arteries in your body or your veins are dilated, right? That happened with sepsis. Mm -hmm. So it'll be very useful if we know what's going on in the circulation of that without using tools that were designed in the 1800s, like blood pressure, heart rate. Right, they're too crude. They're too crude. That's what we do. But imagine if you can get two electrodes somewhere, I don't know where. Right, mm-hmm. but just two electrodes, and then just get the resistance, the voltage, and the amperage of whatever blood is flowing. You can tell apart, you know, okay, is this from low circulation, high circulation, which is high voltage, low voltage? That'd be really cool. I don't want to talk about this in, in front of people that are actually doing the research because they will take my idea. <laughs> I don't think I'll do any research of this anytime I see soon. I see what you're saying. So, but, but you would need more than just a couple of electrodes, right? Like if you really want to yes. track this, like you would need to know, I, I will need to know physics. Which you I would need to know physics and you would, and you would probably and need an electricity and you probably also would need to know like, you would need some sort of nanotechnology, right? Like you would need stuff like flowing through your blood vessels all over your body, being able to track all of that thing. I mean, that would be a way in which I think you could track that, right? And then like like a machine that could track all of that from outside your body, that'd be tough. That'd be a tough thing to find. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but you're talking like, the medicine of the future, like like understanding medicine from like an, an energetic level. Uh, and by energy, I, I mean electricity. Okay, so let me blow your mind, Christian. Okay. Do you remember the midi-chlorians from Star Wars? Yes, okay, I so do. For, I our, for our uh, um, audience, uh-huh. so in Star Wars, you, have, you can tell apart, you know, who can wield the force. Uh, if uh, so, only based on the midi chlorians levels in the blood. 
So people with high midichlorians, which are some units in the blood that are that will connect you to the force, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is all fictional, okay? High midichlorians level means that you can wield the force, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we have in medicine we have mitochondrias, yes, okay, which are the bacteria that at some point got inside our cells. So this is millions years, millions of years ago, and in the past, our cells needed to create energy, that is called ATP, needed to create energy by other means. But then these bacteria got inside our cells and say, hey, let me help you create this energy molecule. And they made a very nice relationship and they stay together. And now all the mammals and uh, a lot of animals have, um, most, all, most of the animals have uh, mitochondria. Mm-hmm. But we think that these mitochondria live inside our cells. Okay, mm-hmm. these mitochondria were bacteria at some point, so we kill it with antibiotics. Sometimes with antibiotics, we give antibiotics, and then we can decrease the number of mitochondria because they are very similar oh. to bacteria. Interesting. Just January of this year, a group of investigators found that we have freely floating mitochondria in our blood that oh. are metabolically active. They can produce. ATP without being associated with any cells. They can produce ATP. Let's say you have a trillion, uh, a trillion uh, mitochondria in your bloodstream. You are energy. producing energy. They are producing energy for you. And what was it that mitochondria needed? Like, was it glucose? Was it oxygen? I yeah, feel like glucose. Yeah, and glucose you have and oxygen. Li- and you have both of those in your blood too. All over. Yeah. So these are actively making the molecule that you need to remain alive Mm -hmm. on your blood without being inside any other cells Mm -hmm. all the time. And we Uh, have no idea what is the implication of having this freely floating mitochondria in our blood because we just discovered that January of this year. Wow. And then that that's just like free flow in ATP that like maybe like like it just enters cells in your body or like we don't know like what what's happening with this. ATP. So think about this when we so infectious disease is really funny because in infectious disease we are we, we are all like all doctors asking uh-huh. lots of questions, uh-huh. uh, going a lot by the subjectives of the patient. Like, hey, uh-huh. do you have? How is your appetite? Or have you had any nice sweats, chills? But then we rely, at least I rely heavily on fatigue. I ask, are you fatigued? Do you have fatigue? How's your level of energy? Uh There is no way we can measure that. Right. Okay. At least with temperature, at least with temperature, we are somewhere where we can stick a thermometer and say, oh yeah, you have fever. Right. Right. But imagine, so, you know, I get to face this because of the limitations in, mm-hmm. in my specialty. So fever, okay? So we know that people get fever and the temperature goes high, but we know as much as that. And then mm-hmm. fatigue. What about fatigue? You know, I feel fatigue. I don't have the same level of energy. I'm not saying that that's related to the number of of freely floating mitochondria. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that we have no idea what are the implications of those. So we still need to do more stuff. That's fascinating. So you, so you think that, 
Right. So basically what you're saying is that the way that you guys track the progression of an infectious disease is pretty archaic because you guys haven't come up with like new instruments to detect the beginning of the disease and the progression of the disease in a more like nuanced ways, right? Like there's no positive uh, um, electron. Right. You yeah. Right. So, so, you, so basically what you're saying is that it, you need to figure out a new machine that will track this stuff and in, in, an, in a way that it's meaningful and, and, and better than the way that you're doing things. And by finding that stuff, it, you, you will be able to really understand the process of immunity and right. infection much better because it sounds like we don't understand it very well, even though we, like, we pretend like we do. Like this thing about, it's so interesting, right? Like, like ATP, like we correlate ATP as, as being like the primordial uh, uh, molecule for energy. And I didn't know that antibiotics like killed mitochondria. And like, I don't, like, I don't remember right now, like whether I felt fatigued after taking antibiotics in any way. And, but why would I correlate ATP and fatigue in, in itself? Like it, this is like, like a, I'm more of a mental construct than not like a linear correlation. Like, yeah, it sounds logical, but, it, but is it like it, we clearly know less than, than we think we do. Correct. Correct. And, and I think that's a whole theme of <laughs> coronavirus, uh, fever, fatigue, you know, it's like we in medicine, we don't know as much as we would like to. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, you know, I, I, I as a psychiatrist and a psycho-oncologist, I, I can relate to what you're saying because there's not a lot right. of... Oh, yeah, especially with your stuff, yeah. <laughs> right, like, there's not a lot of stuff I can measure objectively. Like, there's no, like, a test, like a blood test for depression. Like, that, that, there's no such thing. There's a constellation of symptoms that it's also pretty archaic because, like, I can, I can determine a constellation of symptoms and call it depression, but that does... Or, like, a major depressive disorder or, like, a... There's multiple ways in which I, I, I could categorize a, a depressive episode. And yet, like, I, I am categorizing them in a way that it's not maybe ideal because that constellation of symptoms, that's good. Okay, I have, like, I have a diagnosis for you, but there's so many things that could cause depression, right? Like, there's like an infinite, let's not say infinite, but there's a, very, a vast reasons going from the, sociological to the psychological to the physiological uh, that would that's why you guys keep changing the name over and over again yeah and there's so, this uh, and there's a new like research definition that it's not it's not something that is that we're necessarily using right now to treat to to to, to engage with patients necessarily but there there are multiple branches of, uh, of the research of psychiatry that are trying to tackle this. One of them is trying to tackle the symptoms specifically towards the brain circuitry. So like a, a good example of this would be a, a, one symptom of depression is called anhedonia. And anhedonia is kind of like the, the, the lack of desire, the lack of willingness to do your typical activities that you would normally use to do it. Like you just feel like everything's kind of a drag. It's not quite fatigue because you don't feel a lack of energy. You just don't want like the lack of willpower, like a reduction in, your, in the amount of willpower that you have. And that, there, there's some people that have tracked that down into uh, a, a, a couple of 
brain circuits. And then they try to stimulate those brain circuits through a transmagnetic, uh, stimulate, transmagnetic stimulation, and which is basically like speaking of electricity as, you, uh, as we were before, like it's, it's basically just like trying to depolarize these cells through electrical stimuli. Uh, bypassing the physics of the skull, right? Like I'm, I, I'm not se- like I'm not gonna open you up and uh, and and put a needle there with some electricity. So I'm gonna send right. you like like uh, magnetic waves that uh, at, at a, so I'm gonna bypass the bone and I'm gonna aim a specific area and in that specific area it'll go from magnetic to electricity and or from electromagnetic to electricity. And, and that will create a specific depolarization in that specific brain circuit. And the belief is, is that if we do that, you will feel less anhedonia and, and you will feel more motivated to do things, which is a great thing if you do, because like one of the, the, the ways that we have shown to treat depression is through having you do activities for a period of time and then you can, can get out of it if it's not that severe. But So yeah. Christian, you're saying that you can stimulate somebody's circuit in the brain to make them change an attitude or a symptom right that's that that is what is being researched right now i think they're, they're doing it in different academic systems i know that they're they're doing that at duke um how comfortable are you talking about electricity there it's somewhat comfortable but definitely way less than i than than i would like to be like i'm not a, a as like coming back to what you were saying, I'm not a physicist, right? Like I have, I have no idea how to talk about physics. And it's important. And, and I think, mm-hmm. and it's so important that we learn it because, uh, okay, when I was doing my residency at Duke, one, the, the leading guy in the, in, in, I think he was briefly the chair of the department, but he, he was definitely the clinical director of our electroconvulsive treatment unit which is a lot of electricity. He was, an, he was a doctor, but he was also an engineer. I think he did study uh, like physics. I think it was physics in MIT, and then he did medicine, or he did like a dual program. So he was really comfortable talking about uh, electricity and amperage and the distribution of it through your body. And that's why he revolutionized this, this, the treatment of ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. He made it safer like way surfer than it was like back in the, in the, in the forties and fifties, because he just knew that stuff. And, and you have a point there, man. That's and, some and Christian, that's going to be the next step in medicine. Okay. So whenever we will be able to integrate the electrical part into the chemistry, anatomy, histology, anything else that we know, that's going to be a big jump in our understanding. You know, I think I agree. I think so I let, agree. Me tell you, let me tell you a case that we had like a week ago. No, two, uh, so I was doing service three weeks ago. So uh-huh. three weeks ago, patient with very, very low blood pressure. Okay, uh-huh. so, and they keep calling us back again. Hey, is this patient septic? Is this patient uh, infected? Is this patient having some sort of infection that we weren't able to diagnose? And I was like, wait, wait, what's the main issue here? And then we, we learned that the patient underwent multiple resection of the bowels that has no bowels okay and bowels uh, we're talking about at least seven meters of bowels okay that Mm -hmm. the patient lost (laughs) if you have no bowels so imagine you don't have anything here in this abdominal cavity Uh where you have to we used to have a lot of blood vessels uh, arteries nerves you know all that 
why do you need to keep a high blood pressure if you don't have enough tissue to perfuse? Right? Right. You don't so it's a, he, it's a hemodynamics stuff. Yeah. Um, just, because all, just because all humans are similar, we said, okay, the blood pressure should be somewhere between this and this. The heart rate should be somewhere between this and this, and the temperature should, should be somewhere between this and this, right? But one size doesn't fit all. And the only way to understand what size fits specific person, we have to understand that electrochemical hemodynamic component. Yeah. So whenever we are able to integrate that into the largest electrical system that is our brain that'll be a completely that'll, that'll be a jump in the way we do medicine yeah man i agree and and and, and i think that there's like a little bit of breakthrough going on but there there's there's it's so much information we're like we're we're what's what's happening we're entering the the world of big data in your body like there's so much right. processing of information in multiple layers like the chemical the the hormonal, the electrical, the physical. And, and we try to make sense of things by just like seeing, this is the way that we analyze medicine. Like we see this little tiny aspect, we try to isolate everything else from it. And we see like the implication of that little movement in everything else. And that's Correct. great. That has gotten us where we are. But we're now also starting to watch medicine from the point of big data and, and, and having a artificial intelligence just massively pick all that, all this stuff will allow for changes. I mean, it's happening right now, like individually, like as, as, a, as, a, as a one, like as, as a group of doctors alone, it'll be very hard to interpret EEG as like electroencephalographic, uh, electroencephalograms um, by give, like, we don't know what you're thinking, right? Like go through it. Like it's, it's no, just, that is so funny. You know, yeah. I love to but, see how people read those. Right, like, like we, we are able to like determine whether there's like, like whether you're sleeping or you're awake or you're meditating in different stages right. and so things you like can that. Tell you, so all these tracings, right? You can tell if somebody is sleeping, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like in a very relaxed state, mm -hmm. or having seizures. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we. As, that's as far as you go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and there's some nuances in all of these states, but yeah, that's yeah, true. Of course, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, there, totally. the, the, and yet at the same time, like we we do more than season sleep, right? Like like we 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 have so many like right. very nuanced ways of like handling ourselves, our body, our thought pattern, like our mind states, and that's kind of hard to read through an EEG. And, and maybe with imaging, so you have imaging, you have electric, uh, you have EEG, you, have, you can do this like from this imaging, you can do like a positron, uh, the, the, the PET scans, right? Like, uh, right. So you have all this stuff, and, but you can plug that in to an artificial intelligence machine, the machine that can make sense of it all in, to some extent. And then some like really cool engineering things start to come up like, like these machines that are able to start on to understand through your brain waves, what words are you thinking or what the, or, or, or that's happening already or to understand through our, through your brain waves what do you want to do with your like limbs? So then you're, you're, you're starting to develop this prosthesis that so people are going to be able to like start walking again by executing like, 
like internal commands, you know, like the, it'll be a different way of moving your body, but you'll be able to move it by thinking, which is kind of cool. And some of it is, is like Elon Musk's doing it, right? Like Neuralink. Neuralink. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. that's making it to the news. Yeah. And, and so it, it, it is fascinating the advances that are occurring because of this tool, like of being able to handle massive amounts of data and integrating it into something. So I, yes, I'm very excited about the future of medicine for sure. I think it's going to get really, really sci-fi really quickly. And, yeah. Yeah. and we're going towards an individualized kind of approach, yeah. right? Like yeah. stay away from one size fits all. And yet at the same time, well, but, but you're, you're saying that, right? Like you're in Mayo Clinic, I'm like at a memorial here in New York, but then also while in the, there, there's one side of the spectrum where you have like really disadvanced individualized medicine, but then you have another side of the spectrum where people are dying from like really simple diseases that you could just get an antibiotic from. So Correct. Uh, it's like we live in a very, like in, in a very paradoxical world. Um, where, where very simple things are just not we're, we're, because of the way that we administer resources, we're just not like managing. And then on the other side, we're able to like cure these like insane things that we would have never been able to think about in the past. Correct. And, so just what you mentioned now, okay. So there are literally people dying elsewhere because they're unable to get antibiotics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So infectious diseases are a big, big problem all over the world, all over. And I know we're talking about the future of medicine. Uh, these, th- there is this new concept coming up about phage therapy. I think I told you about that. So yes. phages. Bacteriophages. Um, yes. yes, bacteriophages. So for our audience, this is, these are viruses that can infect bacteria. All, bacteria only, okay? It doesn't infect humans, doesn't infect any other cells. So these are highly specific to bacteria. And these are the, the biggest biological killing entity in the planet. Like it kills 75% of the whole life in the planet daily because it kills bacteria. It kills a lot of bacteria. And, but these are all over the place. Like I literally swapped my nose a while ago with some friends and then we found phages for some bacteria in my nose. So we find bacteria, where we find bacteria, we find phages. So they are living, they have been living together for trillions of years. And can you imagine using these viruses against bacteria and that are living already in your body without the need of using antibiotics or something else well i i think antibiotics are amazing are, are truly you know the the antibiotics really shaped the world in the last decades and and certainly made really you know amazing advances to the field but now we're running short of antibiotics because bacteria and humans and other species have been coexisting for millions of years and is a is a race arm so you know they they once one species develop a way to kill the bacteria the bacteria develop another way to kill the species and they keep doing that forever so we did what we did with antibiotics they were really well in the beginning but now we're facing resistance but phages have been doing this with bacteria for ages and they keep evolving so we're trying to use those 
to kill bacteria now, okay? And those live in your body. So that's going to be another exciting, uh, really exciting field uh, in medicine in the next few decades. Yeah, and, and what, where do you th see the application? So you see these applications specifically in infections that are like uh, um, just really uh, antibiotic resistant? Is that where you see this going? So these bacteriophages have a really funny story. So somebody in 1900s in France decided to filter diarrhea from somebody having cholera, I think, or mm -hmm. you know, some uh, GI, some gastrointestinal infection. That sounds like, say, a, like a dirty job. Like Yes. Like a, oh, yeah, we do that all the time here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, really? <laughs> and, and decided to filter the, the, the stool of somebody, okay, yeah. to look for some for something, I have I have really no idea how this developed. So, uh -huh. anyways, they filter this bacteria, and they filter the bacteria of the people dying and the people not dying. Mm -hmm. So they say, well, if we find something, you'll be in the stool of the people not dying. So then they filter it, and then they match again the filtered diarrhea from one patient with the filtered diarrhea of uh, of a non-survivor. And then this, whatever was there in the filter bacteria killed the bacteria. In the filter diarrhea, killed the bacteria. So then they found these viruses that were taking place there. And we know that they were in bacteria, they were in something else because it was filtered. Very, very small ceramic filters. Like, wow. I don't know how, how you get those uh, ceramic <laughs> filters anymore. Uh, and then they started developing multiple combinations, like concentrations of these bacteriophages. And in the 1900s, you have, we, have, we were barely learning about viruses. Mm -hmm. So when the people came up with this paper, somebody said, like, and these are probably the so-called viruses. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, they, they got described and everything. And they were, uh, they started making some, making some headlines in the 1930s, 1940s, and then penicillin came up. So penicillin was discovered just, you know, from bread, like somebody doing experiments, a little bit of fungi uh, fell into one of the plates and then inhibit the growth of the bacteria. So I said, well, whatever is there in that fungi is mm -hmm. killing the bacteria. So let's take it out and make it a compound so we can treat infections. And it worked really well. But you know, there is a, there is a, every time you have a product, you have to defend your product, right? So there is this competition there. And then uh, the boosters of penicillin said, oh yeah, that bacteriophage is just a, is just- It's a, a scam, it's they, a scam. They, they said it was a magical bogus or something like that, <laughs> or mystical bogus or something. They call it like that. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so people lost the interest in bacteriophages. Everything went to penicillin. After penicillin, we have uh, all the antibiotics that we know now. So we have to start looking back again into bacteriophages recently. Hmm. And people still, there were a lot of people doing research on bacteriophages, just didn't make it to the headlines just like any other uh, antibiotics because antibiotics are are the boom, you know, like we develop a new antibiotic, a test that we know has very good reputation. You know, the antibiotics have very good reputation. So everything stays into that bucket of um, 
having a good reputation and keep using it. So there is mm -hmm. a lot of uh, favoritism to, to keep using it instead of trying new stuff. Uh, but now that we are running out of antibiotics because there are a lot of resistance, then people are looking back into bacteriophages. So we have experience of a patient who had 17 surgeries, okay, mm -hmm. to save the leg. And multiple infections, multiple side effects from antibiotics, like allergies and all that. Eventually, we said, okay, let's do, um, well, uh, eventually the patient was offered amputation of the whole leg, okay? And he came to us and was like, hey, can we do this? And he said, okay, well, let's try bacteriophages. And he mm -hmm. responded really well. So he kept his leg. Three weeks into the treatment, he was able to drive his tractor again. Wow. Four weeks into the treatment, he was taking vacation, and you know he um, he responded really well. So that's those are exciting news. There are a lot of people, a lot of laboratories now taking a closer look into bacteriophages. I think that's where we're heading uh, in the next decade. So the story here is completely different from what's happening in Eastern Europe. So you can take a flight to the Republic of Georgia mm -hmm. and buy over-the-counter bacteriophages <laughs> for respiratory infections, for GI infections. You can get just a, a, a capsule of bacteriophages. Oh Whether God, they work amazing. or not, that's <laughs> a completely different story because they haven't been tested the way... Right. It's just like a concoction that, that, that somebody like created there. Sounds like yeah. a like a, somebody would like a good uh, <laughs> business like mine. Of Just... course, yeah. <laughs> so, wow, that's exciting, man. That's exciting. Imagine you have no. So let's say you 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 cannot treat people with antibiotics, or you have problems getting antibiotics. You can harvest these phages that are all over our uh, all over our body or all, all over somebody else's body, and then just expand them, concentrate them, and then apply it to somebody else. Hmm. So you don't need a chemical facility to do it, or, hmm. you know, it, 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 it's something that we do in the lab. That's um, interesting. So, so then you, you would like disrupt pharma by, by, by doing that? Probably. Yeah, no wonder they, we're, we're sticking to penicillin so far. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. It, it, is, it is very exciting. It you know, exciting. It, I, I, I love hearing how like science is advancing in, in all the different fields, you know, like infectious diseases, you have bacteriophage. Sounds like you have to invent some sort of like a physical electricity sort of machine to, to like gather data a little bit more accurately. And I don't know, in psychiatry, we have a little bit of what we talked about, like trying to go straight to circuitries. There's other people trying to analyze in big data and trying to understand this and mood in a, in a more deep, in like a deeper way. Um, and then there's the, there's so many different things. There are, there are people trying to understand things from more a hormonal standpoint, from more a chemical standpoint, from more electricity, electrical standpoint. Then there's the, the, the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, not, not necessarily focusing so much on, on the why, just like saying, does this work or not? And, and there are some people that are trying to figure out the why. And those are like really smart people uh, that, again, go back to 
at, at trying to find a unified field of like a unified unified field theory where you use the uh, the knowledge of chemistry and physics and biology to understand mind and that is a cool thing man that is that a is a cool thing yeah and and I, and it comes with also informatics to it it comes with informatics because oh yeah yeah we cannot do this these things on our own oh my god yeah i i read we a need paper. few extra we need few extra brains <laughs> well, yeah we need a few extra brains and we definitely need like 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 really excellent brains to really understand it ah man i i think that would be a podcast in itself really trying to like the uh, digest like talk about digesting the the current understanding of how uh, we perceive reality uh is i'm, I'm actually writing a book about it and really? and yeah and it's so beautiful and so complicated and maybe i'll talk about it in one podcast maybe would would when maybe I'll, I'll be able to get robin card harris to join me I, I don't know if he will join me but i would love that and just like going deep into this um but Anyway, man, it's been beautiful talking with you. I really appreciate it. I love talking with you all the time. And and I think we should do this again. Thank you, Christian. Anytime. You know, I have, uh, I, I really enjoy having these philosophical talks with you. As I yeah. said, uh, I have very low response rate when I ask, <laughs> when I start philosophical questions, but I know I always have a philosophical discussion with you. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. It was beautiful talking to you. So maybe we can talk again in the next pandemic or maybe sooner than that. Maybe sooner than that. Hopefully sooner than that. So <laughs> let's try not to wait 100 years for that. So <laughs> probably be that by then. Okay, man. Have a great day. Okay. Thank you, Christian. Thanks. Thanks.